Welcome to Lori Jewett Unscripted, the show where we talk to really awesome people and dive deep into their stories to share with you how they uncovered their hidden superpowers so you can learn how to identify and unleash yours. Here's your host, Lori Jewett. All right, you guys, welcome back. Thank you for tuning in again. I appreciate y'all each and every week. I am super excited today and yet another week y'all are going to hear me uh, mispronounce somebody's name, I'm sure, but I've been practicing in my head. So today I am, I'm joined by the founder and owner of Fearless Happiness Coaching and Consulting, also Fearless Happiness Podcast. Hopefully I didn't get that wrong. Here we go. Here's the name, Max Nace. Did I get it right? Yeah, she said it right. Yeah, it does I not look it. the way it sounds at all. So. No, <laughs> it doesn't. So Awesome. <laughs> Yeah, well, thank you for being here. I know you're busy, and I appreciate your time. So why don't you tell tell everybody a little bit about you, who you are, what you do, and we'll have a fun conversation. Absolutely. Thank you for having me here, first and foremost, Lori. Thanks for taking the time out of your busy schedule. I'm honored to be here. My name is Max Nace. And like Lori said, if you saw my name, you would not even see that there's a long A out of the last name that I have. But we were talking earlier, and I said I've heard SKI added to it, letters added to it, and it's just it is what it is, right? So it just it makes for uh, an exciting conversation piece. But yes, I am the owner and founder of Fearless Happiness Coaching and Consulting. And to let you all know, there's a why in the happiness, not an I, and there's a reason for that. And maybe we'll get into that when Laurie and I start this conversation. By day, my day job is a substance abuse counselor, which I've been doing for almost 15 years. I've been clean and sober for over 19 Um Come this September, I'll be cleaning this over for seven, uh, 20 years. So I've been in the field for 15, cleaning this over for 20 almost. And it's just been a passion of mine ever since I got sober. And to tell the truth, I didn't want to get sober, right? It's what they call a nudge from the judge. I had no choice. Um, but I'm glad because that was kind of like God working through the judge. And as we go, I can get into that story. But yeah, I've been doing this. It, it's my purpose. It's my passion. I, I love helping people. Uh, try to get sober and maintain sobriety in any way that I can. But uh, the one thing I think that I like to say, it's like Lori and I have connected, right? And this goes for everybody, right? But the opposite of addiction is connection. And then I try to carry that connection into every aspect of my life, right? Not just my day job or, you know, what I do for my private practice. But I think connecting with people helps us get together as human beings so we can push each other to be better than we were the day before. Absolutely. And I've been in my head, I haven't put it on Facebook yet, but in my head, I've been working on a post today that literally is that same that same topic, the the connection and how important the connecting with people truly is and the right people, I think is kind of important. But <laughs> right. That's true. Right. You you got the wrong way and you got the right way. Yeah. You know, so you said something that I want to kind of dive into because it is very similar to my what's happening in my life right now god is working through other other people and situations to smack some sense into me and tell me what i need to be doing and so i think it's really cool that you know the, uh, the nudge from the judge for people like me that helps me remember because it rhymes but <laughs> so <laughs> you know going through that initial like this is not what i want to do can you kind of discuss the process of what it was like to go through that kind of being but, forced into it and realizing that, oh, this is where I'm supposed to be. This is what, you know, this is where God is putting me to help other people. Yeah. So that's a, a long, and I'll try to break it down. So I was in my active addiction, Lori, for about nine years, right? So after my divorce, it just went downhill south, right? Like 
Because here's what happened. I was drinking heavily, knowing that, you know, our relationship was about to end, you know, married to my ex-wife for eight years, three kids with her. It was just, you know, it was on that road of going nowhere. And, Mm -hmm. you know, there's my part, her part, their part, whatever you want to call it. right? But not having, like you talked about, having the right people to surround you. Like I felt all alone, right? So I didn't have that dad I could go to like, hey, dad, how, how do I get through this, right? Or even uncles and stuff, because they had their own families. And I just, so what happened was, right, we go through this divorce. I'm already drinking like a fish, as they say. I'm going to the local dive bar, closing that down, right? And what happens is when the divorce is final, she ends up taking the kids and moving to Nebraska. Like, but without telling me, right, she calls me on the phone, leaves me a message. I come home from work one day and it's, uh, hey, call me at this number, 202. And I'm like, Right. You know, that light bulb goes off in your head when you go, I'm in California. There's no 202 yeah. in California. Right. There's at the time there's 714, maybe 949. Right. Or 213. And I'm like, OK. And then I make that dreaded call. And, and that's when I found out she had moved. And that was the moment. Right. Where I went from barely staying out of trouble into I don't care. I'm going to drink as much as I can. I'm going to do whatever I can not to feel this pain. And whatever happens, happens, right? Like, that's the kind of, that's what was my thinking back then. Like, I don't care. And I had never gotten in trouble before, right? When I was a kid, maybe one time when I was 17. But up until that point, you know, I was trying to become a firefighter. Uh, I was going to school. Like, I was just trying to, you know, better my life for my family until the divorce happened. So fast forward, right? I'm getting in trouble. I get introduced to drugs again, right? Because I did, I did experiment back in high school. But then when I got married and joined the service, you know, I, I quit, right? And then especially with the my first child being born, my son, like I quit smoking and everything that I was like cold turkey done. Well, anyway, all this stuff starts coming back. I'm, exper- you know, I'm not only drinking, I'm doing whatever's handed to me. And then I get introduced to methamphetamine and talk about going downhill, like at supersonic speed as fast as you can. That started to happen. And then definitely the I don't care attitude. Right. As I like to call it, when I learned when I got sober was I was committing suicide on the installment plan. Right. Because I was too chicken to do it. But every time I put a drink or a drug in my system, that was the whole intent. Right. Like Mm -hmm. and I had those conversations with God, like, God, please let me go to sleep tonight and please don't wake me up many times. It just started to snowball and get worse. Right. From traffic tickets to paraphernalia tickets to finally getting a felony. Right. That brought me into the, the justice system, the court system. and you know, and then what happened was, right, I would get the the minimum thing in the beginning, right? Because I didn't really have a record. So, hey, you do this, go to so many meetings a week, and then you can get this expunged from your record. Well, mm-hmm. I, of course, Lori, I couldn't even do that, right? And then I get the second thing, which is, it's like what drug court is nowadays, right? I had to go to my PO, test clean. I'd have to see, you know, I'd have to do a program. But see, here's, I was so, how do I put this? Like, I was just so out of it and did not care, like literally did not care. I remember I do the intake. It was Prop 36 back then, but it's now kind of what uh, drug court is now. And I'm sitting across from the the counselors doing my intake. And I said, ma'am, please just don't waste your ink. I said, she looked at me like, what? I said, because I'm going to get my happy butt on my skateboard and I'm probably going to go get high when I leave here. And I probably won't be back. And this lady literally went like, I'm going to say a prayer for you. You know, like did the sign of the cross. And I was like, okay, you know, I did, I didn't think it was funny at the time, but you know, I'm like, 
Well, then I end up, you know, I, I'm, I'm in my active addiction. I'm not seeing my children. That's part of my story. We can get it out too, but like nothing mattered. Like I had lost my job. I wasn't working. It just, everything in my life fell apart, Lori. Like I couldn't hold a job to save my life. Put it this way. So at the height of my using and my drinking, my older brother would always put me to work, right? Because he felt bad. So he would have me. I remember I showed up on a job one day. I had been up for a few days, right? So, you know, I didn't look the greatest. I thought I did, but, you know, <laughs> I remember he just looked at me and he said, put the shovel down. He gave me some money and goes, get out of here. You're embarrassing me, right? And getting fired from your old brother, that's pretty sad. But that's a tale of my addiction, right? It was like I went from the home, the children, the white picket fence to the streets in literally about a year's time, right? And then my own mom would kick me out of her house and so much I could tell you about. And and that's how I got induced to the court, right? So the last, what I mean from that nudge from the judge, it was the last time I was in jail. I was doing a six month violation, right? And I got to tell you, so that's uh, when I was in jail that last time, one of those moments where you go, I know things have to change mm-hmm. is when my mom came to visit. Probably I was two weeks in, you know, I'm back in Orange County, main jail. And um, she picks up the phone and it's just like the movies. You're talking, you know, on the phone across the glass. And before I could say anything, Lori, she looks at me straight in the eye and said, I love you some, but you're no longer welcome at my home. If you come near my home, I will call the police. And if my neighbors see you and I'm not home, they're going to call the police. What are you going to do? And like I said, this is probably the best answer that I could have gave her. And I looked at her and I said, I don't know. For the first time in that whole time, right, where, because I had been to jail before and she had come visited before and I gave her all those empty promises everybody Mm -hmm. talks about, right? I'll be a better son. I'll be a better father i'll go find the kids so you could be a grandma you know because when i didn't see the kids for nine years he didn't see the kids for nine years right so there's a lot of stuff that happened because of my addiction my mom suffered right and everybody around me obviously right because i didn't care and she starts crying Lori, and i'm like why are you crying you get to go home i get to go back and she she just looked at me and she said that's the best answer i've heard you say and like forever and it was that moment I'm like, okay. And that kind of began my journey, right? Because I'm sitting in jail. I go to see the judge. Like, he's disgusted with me. He doesn't, you know, I've done nothing he's asked of me. Mm-hmm. And then I'm going back and forth, right? And they try to give me something. And every time they try to give me something, I'm like the one that's going to argue. I raise my hand. No, I don't think you should do that, right? Because it's not going to work. You know what I mean? Like, for instance, this one thing, right? Like, they wanted to send me to this place called the Phoenix House, right? They have this thing where they sit you in a circle. You're in the middle and they surround you and they just bash you, right? Well, it's kind of those, they break you down and then they try to lift you up. But you're not, you're supposed to sit there with your hands on you. You can't say a word. So, you know, that's the time I go, Judge, I don't think you should send me there. I go, I'll probably have a new charge because I'll probably pop someone if, you know. For, and he just kind of shook his head, right? Like, okay, I'll see you next month. Then the next place he wanted to send me was this place in Santa Ana, California. It was called the Hope House. But they have this thing called the timeout bench, right? So if you get in trouble, you literally have to sit on this bench. You can't move. You can't talk to anybody. You know what I mean? And I'm like, okay. (laughs) I raise my hand again. Your Honor, sorry, you can't send me there. He's like, why? And I go, timeout bench, really? I go, that's something I would give my kids. Yeah. Right? And, (laughs) And I'm like... That's not going to work, right? So, like, I'll see you next month. And so back then, when they gave you a six-month violation, you usually did four with good time or bad time, right? But this judge was so tired of me. He goes, I'll keep you here past that. You're not leaving. There's two ways you're leaving my jail. 
I find you a place, one, or two, you're getting on a bus to go to state prison. Those are your only two choices. And, you know, I'm looking at them like, oh, man. Okay. But they ended up finding me this place, which would begin my journey into recovery, right? It was like a sober living slash treatment. And that's when I was introduced to um, Alcoholics Anonymous, right? And it's what changed my life, right? Because I, here's what happened though. Like, I'll give you fast forward. I do really well when I get there, right? Because Mm -hmm. I just want to keep probation off my back. I don't want to get in trouble. I'm not, I'm doing the work, but I'm not really doing the work, right? Like I'm not digging deep. And so I'll tell some good things that happened in that time though. So I get to this place, first few months, I'm writing my ex-wife letters. I'd really love to see the kids. I'm sober now, right? I'm working. Please let me see the kids, right? But I'm getting no response. Mm -hmm. And then at about six months sober, the first time, longest I've ever had in, in many years, I'm going to the truck to get a tool and my phone rings. I have my first flip phone, right? My first cell phone. And I'm feeling like I'm on top of the world. I got a, <laughs> I got a job that's actually paying me well because I hadn't worked in that nine years of my active addiction. I didn't, I didn't work, right? Mm-hmm. My job was to get high. And I remember the, the phone ring and I, so I answer it. Hey, is Max there? This is so-and-so. And I didn't rec- recognize her voice in the beginning, Larry. So I'm like, yeah, this is Max. And she goes, hey, this is, this is Susan. The kid, I got your letters finally because I, I had moved. The kids want to see you. And I almost passed out. Like literally, and my legs got jelly. I'm like, she goes, yeah, I moved. And I had just now gotten all your letters. I'm down by San Diego in El Cajon. Why don't you come visit the kids? They really want to see you. So I embark on that journey, right? I and mean, at that time, my brother had gotten sober, my younger brother, for two years apart. So he starts going down to San Diego with me to go see my kids, right? I'm doing really well, really well, really well, seeing them every weekend. And then a week shy of 10 months sober, I decide to go back to the old neighborhood mm. and go hang out with. Yeah. So I walk into this house. They're all doing the same thing. And I don't leave the house. I, I end up going on my first relapse really bad. So total of four relapses later go by five months, right? So you got to imagine I hadn't seen the kids in nine years. I start seeing my kids and then all of a sudden I disappear again for five months. Five months goes by. Fast forward, right? I'm 30 I'm 30 days sober. I'm after my last relapse that really kicked my butt. I decide I'm going to call my ex-wife and say, hey, look, I'm sober again. Mm-hmm. My sponsor tells me that's not a good idea. Let me help you come up with that because you don't you don't want to spring that on her, right? I wasn't really paying attention what he was trying to tell me. Mm-hmm. So I call her up, right? I'm at the sober living house. Um, everybody's home. I call her, hey, Susan, it's Max. Sorry, I haven't talked to you in five months, but I relapsed. Now, I can't tell you what she said, but it was like the exorcist. I think she was making up cuss words. I'm literally pitching her head while I'm getting screamed at, like her head spinning, right? And she's, but I do remember this at the end of it all. She says, you did it again. I can't believe I let you do it again. You did it to me. You did it to the kids. You will never see those kids as long as I live. And you could hear her slam the phone and it gets silent in my house, right? Because everybody's home cooking dinner, getting ready for dinner. I'm like, one of my buddies goes, oh, it sounds like he's mad. I go, yeah, you think? Mm-hmm. Right? So that really began my journey. I mean, I could go into so many, but we could be here for, for hours. So fast forward, right? I, I made a promise to God and my sponsor and myself. I said, God, if you keep me sober, I'll do the work to stay sober. Mm-hmm. And despite that just happened, you know, I, I stayed on the path, right? I, I went to my sponsor. I told him what happened. He was like, you're an idiot. I told you not to do that, you know? 
And so, you know, the funny part is idiot was my nickname my first year sober, right? Where I really stayed sober, right? Because I would do dumb things. I would stay sober, but he would just, people would shake their head and like, why would you do? I guess I was a glutton for punishment, right? I like putting myself through pain. But the point is, is like, even though I would do some silly things or I stayed sober, I kept that promise. Like, I am not going to pick up a drink or a drug again. I didn't like the way I felt the last time. I didn't like the way I looked. I was just like, so I stayed on the path. He said, you know, you stick to this. Here's some really simple direction. You call your ex every week. I was working again. All you do is you tell her you're sober. You're working. If she calls you a name, you tell her you're right. And you hang up. I gotta tell you, Lori, I did that every week for a year, every week. And I got this, I got the same answer too. you. I don't know if we cuss on here, but you know, you get what I'm saying. She would yeah. yell at me. <laughs> so I did that, right? And I, I stayed true to my word and my promise to God, right? I would go to meetings every day. I would work with others. I would work my steps. I would do all the things that I thought was necessary or what I was taught was necessary to stay sober. Like I dove headfirst into the program of AA and I did worked my steps, went to meetings, and it was two days before Thanksgiving or a year later. And I would get that call from my ex. Hey, I'm in Orange County again. Be at my parents for Thanksgiving. Don't be late. Well, I haven't missed a Christmas or a Thanksgiving or a birthday for almost 20 years now, Lori. Oh, it's getting all the chills. (laughs) I'm assuming all of our listeners just got the same chills that I did. But (laughs) that just makes my heart happy that it worked out. You pushed through. You know, and and here's what I want to tell your audience, right, is... Like, I love my recovery, and I'm not pushing any certain type, right? Even though 12 Steps is what got me to being on this interview with, with Lori today, right? I, I, I thank God for it. I, I mean, I'm so grateful, but I understand that people find their path to recovery. And, and my job is to help them find that path and then kind of be their accountability partner and, and stick to it, right? So my point is, I worked it, you know, and I still do that today. But here's the thing, right? We get sober, and those out there listening in your audience who are probably in recovery or not, whatever, they're going to understand, right? Life's still going to happen, right? And I've been through some of the toughest challenges ever in my recovery. So let me share with your audience a little bit about that. And then we can talk about whatever else you want. But beginning almost eight years ago now, right? It was three days after I turned 13. My sister would die of Parkinson's disease, which at the time, right, we were okay with because she had suffered for so long. Like, you know what I mean? 20 plus years with Parkinson's is, is horrible, right? Well, eight months to the eight months later, on my way to Minnesota, my brother would take his own life and lose his battle to addiction. And then six months to the day on Thanksgiving Day, my mom would die of a broken heart, literally. Oh. Right? She had just lost two children. And then that following Monday, I would put my youngest daughter into drug treatment. And then as recently as four years ago, we would lose a granddaughter. My wife and I would lose a granddaughter. And then a week later, my son would almost die of a stroke because of his addiction and choices, right? And my point is is that if I had not done the work that was necessary to stay sober, and you know what I like to say, whether people agree with me or not, if I didn't build that faith, Mm -hmm. right, that something greater than myself, which I call God, would take care of me, I probably wouldn't be talking to you right now. Mm Because here, you know, and I was in Denver, Colorado. I was away from my support system. I could have easily told my ex-fiance, hey, you know, go to the room. I'm going to go get us something to eat. I'll be back in a little bit, right? And could have started the whole, as they say, rigmarole all over again, right? Because 
a drag addict or an alcoholic knows where to find whatever they want. It doesn't mm -hmm. matter. I could have went to a local dive bar, right? And then the posse would have been out looking for me because my ex would have been calling everybody. Yeah, hey, he disappeared. I don't know where he's at. But that's been my journey of ups and downs and, you know, and which has led me to the same being in the same network that you belong to, right? Where we surround ourselves with people who are like-minded. And so not only I get a double whammy, right? I get a double good thing, I think, not only my recovery community, but our apex community, right? Because mm -hmm. then I get people like Lori that I can turn to and go, hey, Lori, how would you do this? Or, right? And we know people that are a few steps ahead of us that we can go, wow, how did they do that? And that's been my journey is to continually better myself, not only in my recovery, but as a human being. Because if not, I wouldn't be sitting here with you today, Lori. So I hope that your audience kind of gives it, that was an overview of what I've been through and why I'm so grateful to be here today. Yeah, well, I want to touch on a couple of things that, that you just said, but you're absolutely right. And the coolest thing about what I know, and I've never been a part of the recovery community, but I have some very close relatives that that are still and have had similar results years, you know, great results and everything. The one similarity, I think, is that we, between Apex and the recovery community, is we can go without judgment and ask questions or talk to people I mean, I had I had right. three I had three Zoom calls this morning just with friends that know me from, you know, from Apex that whatever. And all three of these people are, get paid to coach and they gave me time just to And two of the three actually reached out to me and said, hey, it's been a while. Let's catch up. And we're talking me through because I've got this book release right. coming up and I'm like, I don't know where I want to go from here. I know that I want to get into to something where I'm helping people in a different way than I am now. But it's like, I don't know. But I think that's really cool because I can say things without judgment, right? Like I can, I can, make, absolutely, I can ask questions that in different circles might be considered stupid questions. And these people are like, no, this is what you know, this is how you go about that, or this is what that. So I think that just from what I know about the recovery community, it's very similar that, you know, no judgment. We're all here to help, right? Absolutely. Right. And as you know, right, we get to at least pick and choose who that is, because with any group, right, there's the ones you want to hang out with and there's ones you don't. And you and I are fortunate enough to know the same people that are all just amazing people that truly care. Like you can ask them the dumbest question and they're not going to go, well, that was dumb. They're going to go here. Just maybe look at it this way. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, may, and that's how my recovery community has been. Thank God for my sponsor. Right. He's been my sponsor for almost 20 years. And that wow. man's never judged me, right? He's, he watched me go through those four relapses. He's been there as a good, bad, or indifferent. And not once has ever said, oh, my God, Max, you have relapsed way too many times. I don't think I could work with you, right? Mm -hmm. I, that would probably have turned me off, and I probably wouldn't be sitting here with you today. It's okay, right? I'm going to go do my thing then. Wherever it lands me, I don't care. But luckily, we have people like that in our network, too, that go, mm -hmm. you know what? Hey. There's no such, the only question like that, like most of you and I know, we'll say the only question is the dumb question is the one that's not asked, right? Like, yeah. And that's how it's been in recovery with my sponsor. He goes, you know, the only dumb question is the one you don't ask me, right? Like, I can't help you if you don't ask me those questions or I can't help you if you're not completely honest with me, right? And and that's why I'd love coming on and doing these podcast interviews or, you know, with friends of, I call my friends in, in Apex right? Because I can answer their questions honestly, and they're not going to look at me and go, you know, hey, time out, Max, we got to stop this because we can't do this anymore, right? They're going to go, okay, cool. I like it. Yeah. I just think of all the people that you can help. And, you know, you you mentioned the, like, God working 
using other people to work with you naturally. And this is actually in my book, but somehow organically, my podcast has shifted like on its own. I didn't do it. But about the same time that my whole life changed and I got very involved in church and everything else, I started organically getting referred to guests like yourself. I've got three upcoming, no, one already aired. So two upcoming episodes aside from yours about addiction and recovery and just success stories of people, you know, how to do that. And I've got an episode that I have recorded that hasn't aired yet with somebody that works with teenagers specifically for addiction and abuse and things like that. So I think it's really cool because we all, it's, this is something that I'm like learning very difficultly, I guess, or I don't even know if that's the right word, but having a hard time learning, but I am, I'm like getting, he's having to knock me in the head a little bit. Or as our <laughs> mutual friend, Michelle Hill says, um, I think it was Michelle Hill that calls migraines, God smacks. Like that's oh, him telling me, no, don't do that. Um, <laughs> right. I love that though. I think that, I think that's a phrase that she uses and I'm like 99% sure that she said it, but the, the things that we've been through at the time, we didn't realize it. You know, whenever you were going that nine years without your kids, without seeing them, you didn't realize that that was going to help you help other people and literally save lives in the future. There's no telling how many lives you've saved because it's not just the people that you've talked to and that you've mentored and coached. It's the people that they've, just like your sponsor, your sponsor helped you, you're helping other people. And it's like this right. really cool circle, cycle, whatever you want to call it, of you don't know who all has been helped because of your experiences and you being open about it. Because I've gone through a lot that is slowly getting leaked out there because of this book. I mean, I'm putting out a little bit at a time. My kid's like, um, Jeff Brecken aired my podcast episode with him. And the title, like the uh, the description started with suicidal thoughts. And my daughter's like, um, mom, do you have something you want to tell me? And I'm like, oh, the book comes out on July 1st. You can read it. It'll be fine. <laughs> and it it is hard to be open and talk about things like this right like i I have things just from this conversation that whenever we record you know my interview for your podcast there are things that aren't even in the book that i want to talk about because just listening to you tell your story like that can help just putting ourselves out there absolutely you know and that's what i have found right and even like some of the things i share right because i know it's okay because my wife tells me so i'm going to share with you something very deep and personal right that i want your audience to know right like I try not to hold anything in, right? Because I know for me, if I do, right, it's like keeping a secret, right? I don't always go to the world and go, hey, tell them everything, right? I got people for that. But in that process, right? So my wife used to date my brother, but I didn't know about this until a week before he passed, right? I didn't even know he was dating anybody, right? Well, she had friend requested me, but with a silly picture of my brother making some silly face, right? But I was on that process, like I said, moving across the country with the the girl I was with at the time. And so I didn't even, I didn't even really, we were supposed to meet up the weekend I left, right? Because just to like say hi and meet her and he's all whatever. Well, that Saturday rolled around. We were supposed to leave Saturday morning, but we didn't get to my mom's till late. My brother had called me, right? But I was in the restroom. I come out, check my phone. I'm, I'm literally talking to Lori two seconds. I start calling him back, no answer, right? So, okay, maybe he's busy, right? So on my way to minnesota like those two days sunday no answer he's not calling me back monday rolls around because it was tuesday may 24th when i got the call from my brother i was sitting in a denny's in denver colorado and i'll never forget it i've never heard my older brother cry until this point my brother's in long-term recovery matter of fact this december he's going to celebrate 40 years clean and sober yeah so i'm sitting in this denny's right and i'll get to my point but he calls and he says hey my brother our brother's gone 
But if you knew my brother, my brother's the type that does things like he's a spontaneous spur of the moment, will take his family camping or go on a long drive on his motorcycle, not come home until later. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, that's cool. What do you do? Get on his Harley and go for a ride. And that's when I heard it. And I, my brother's voice changed. And he says, no, our brother's gone. He hung himself. Oh. And I lost it right there in the middle. Right. But see, at that point, I didn't know exactly what happened. Right. That he, yes, he hung himself. So, I mean, if it's okay to share mm-hmm. and the reason I want to share this, right, because this is where my faith comes in. This is where God comes in. Right. Like you can get through anything. Well, he FaceTimed my wife while he was hanging himself. Oh my gosh. Right. And, and, We've been together for almost six years. July will be six years married, but we talk about it all the time. She doesn't give me details, right? Of course. And I've never, but she's open with me and what's, you know, she's got PTSD and yeah. right. Like going to bed is not her safe space, right? Where for most people, okay, bed's cool. I can relax. I can go to sleep. That's not because it happened at three in the morning. Ooh. And I shared this with you because, right, I could have, what happened? I break up, right? And she's, we start talking. Actually, we were talking while I was with my my ex, but it was because she wanted to talk about my brother. Like, how come I didn't know the signs? Why? Right. I She knew I was in recovery and she knew I was a counselor. So who better to go? And yeah. hey, do you mind answering some questions for me? Right. So we were just talking and which we talked for five months straight. Right. And anyway, so that's what happened. Right. But see, out of that tragedy. Right. One of the best things that ever happened is, is I married this wonderful lady. Right. And we've got a home together. We've got you know, between the well, 10 grandkids for me, eight grandkids for her. We got wonderful kids, my, you know, and, and it's just, and I share that, right? Because here's where that faith, which you know about came mm-hmm. into play, right? If I didn't have this God in my life or this power greater than me, I probably, like I said, I would have got lost in Denver somewhere. Who knows? I may, you know, may have survived it, may have not. But luckily that this process of recovery brought me around a bunch of amazing people inside and outside of recovery that all supported me through that. They support my wife and I now still, right. As we, we trudge this road of life and, and, but I, I always tell people like, they say, well, I can't do this because you know, I might as well go drink. And I go like, like I'm nobody special, but let me tell you what I, like you said, I share that story with them and it makes them think, wow, if he got through that, if they got through that together, why can't I, stop drinking or using drugs and maybe have a better life. You know what I mean? And that's the whole purpose about with fearless happiness, coaching and consulting and those people that are really not going to go on social media and go, Hey, I need help. But the ones that keep it very private, right. Maybe because of their jobs or their position in life. But I want to be that person that can show them it can be done no matter how they want to do it. I'm going to be that accountability partner or that coach goes, you can do it. Right. Let me tell you what I've been through. Like you said, sharing our stories with other people. I saw a quote earlier today that I was flipping through my notebook. So I don't know if you know Nick. Do you know Nick Wingo? Super cool dude. Yes. He super cool dude. I like just he was awesome. A quote that he gave me, and I like sharing gives all of our experiences a purpose. Sharing our stories gives all of those experiences a purpose. And I was like, oh, that is so. I mean, it sounds so simple, but it's incredibly deep because. Absolutely. You know, I, I don't know how hard it I was. love that. I love yeah, that. Isn't that great? It's been hard for me to. Well, that's why they say like, in the, right, right. Well, that's in the rooms of AA. They always say the newcomer is the most important person, right? Because when they share their story and we hear what they have, we can always share, hey, this is where I was when I got here. Right. And that's why it's such a big community and been so successful 
on helping people get sober, right? Because there was this one thing I saw from a reporter in England that shared this story. What we think about addiction is wrong, right? And at, towards the end, he, he says, he goes, the opposite of addiction is not sobriety, it's connection. And when I first heard that, it, look, I still, I, I knew I was on the right path because so true, right? If it wasn't about connection, there wouldn't be no NA, AA, or any, you know, anonymous, right? Because that's how we connect. And it's like you and I belonging to Apex, right? It's all about us connecting and 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 seeing the similarities, not the differences and helping each other when we need it, right? Or mm-hmm. any mastermind for that does what we do, you know what I mean? And, and that's why it's been so easy for me to be in Apex and stuff like that, because I see, I, do, I always look for the similarities. I try not to go like, oh, Lori's different. I don't know if I could be, you know what I mean? Like some people might yeah. do, but we all have similar stories, right? We just have different paths on how we got there, I believe. You're absolutely right. And it's funny, whenever you said earlier, when we first got on, the opposite of addiction is connection. I totally wrote that down because I love that. <laughs> when, when I'm doing <laughs> these, I take notes and I'm like, I tell people it's for the show notes, but I'm like, no, it's for me because I flip back through them. And it's, I mean, it's it's great reminders because it doesn't, you know, my, one of the things that I want to get people to understand is it doesn't have to be, you know, my thing is my ADHD. I was diagnosed as an adult. I had no idea what was wrong with me, wrong, as a kid. Right. And my whole thing is I'm going to talk about it and get people help them realize that it's okay to talk about it. You don't have to slow yourself down. You know, whenever I first started getting on stages, I was told I needed to slow my, you know, slow myself down. Well, when I slow myself down, I'm not me. and I'm not authentic. Record it and put it on like 0.5 speed and then maybe you can catch it. But, you know, I'm I, I'm super excited. You know, Miranda Jiggins invited me to speak on one of her stages and her audience. She talks faster than I do, which is like, wow. So I'm like, I don't know. I was actually telling somebody earlier today. I'm like, I don't have to slow myself down. But, you know, whether it be ADHD, you know, addiction, whatever, whatever it is that people are hiding, they don't necessarily have to like shot it from the rooftops like you and I have chosen to do. Right. Right, but right. at least know that you can reach out to people and find a network. I think it's incredibly whether whether that's, you know, if it's a recovery community or a mastermind or just you know, find some good friends, you know, that you can you can talk to and that will lead you in the right direction. Because that's the key is it's very easy to um, be attracted to the wrong people and get really bad advice. <laughs> right. Absolutely. And that's probably happened to the best of us. Right. At times where we think it might be good until we realize like, oh, that wasn't so good, right? But there's people like in our community, right? That say ADHD, that's a superpower, right? Yep. There's nothing wrong with that. Use it as a superpower, right? Like you probably can get more done than most people, right? Um, and I know I've got ADHD and all that stuff that goes with it. So I've learned to embrace that stuff and go, you know what? It's not a bad thing. I'm going to do my best with what I got and God's going to give me the strength to do it, right? As long as I do it, on a path that's, you know, truthful and honest with integrity, we're going to all make it, you know what I mean? And and like you and I are on that path to help other people, however that looks, right? And I got to tell you, right, like in my gut, right, there's never been a bad, oh, I'm going to help people. Oh, that doesn't feel right, right? Mm-hmm. It's always been, okay, now you're on the right path. But when I'm like being selfish, that's when I get the bad feeling. Like this is not going to work for you because you're, you know, that's kind of like you're being selfish, Max. And I understand that sometimes in certain things, we have to be selfish, like taking care of ourselves because we cannot pour from an empty cup, 
right? So we got to fill ourselves up first and got to take care of ourselves. So there is time for that selfishness, selfishness when it's for a good reason, right? To recharge, to get rest, you know, and take care of ourselves. Because without that, as you know, you probably got it, gotten to that point too, where you're like, I got nothing left in the tank, man. I'm going to pass out here. I can't do nothing anymore. Oh yeah. Last week, taking care of my kid after her shoulder surgery. I'm like, I, cause as a mom, even though she's 16, I'm like, I couldn't sleep. I, at one point I told my husband, I'm like, I got to go refill my cup. Cause I need like a nap and to, I don't know. I don't remember what I did. Oh, I do know. I went and I took a, an Epsom salt bath because somebody in apex said that it was a great idea. And she's right. It is. <laughs> it's not just for old people. Just saying, like put that out there. But yeah, we, you're absolutely right. Like we we have to, and I did. I just I my husband and my daughter's boyfriend were here, and I'm like, you guys take over. And it was when she was still on narcotics and you know the prescriptions, whatever. Which she got off of those um, very quickly because she has a mother who not only has a very very addictive personality. My biological paternal side of the family, and this is getting into stuff I've never talked about before, but all very addictive personalities you know my biological father committed suicide because of drugs and that whole you know most of that side of the family either most of them unfortunately have passed away but so that that addiction is strong and i don't maybe it's not like scientific but i truly believe that it's somewhere deep down in there and so yeah i was wanted to get her off the narcotics quickly (laughs) just because you know and no, there is science that actually proves that, that it's in our DNA. And if it's on, like for me, it was on both sides of the family, right? So it's strong in my DNA, right? So every day that I do not pick up a drink or, or a drug, I'm that miracle, right? Yeah. Because if you could have saw me, I don't know if you, I showed you, I can't find it. There's a picture of me that on the front of my book, right? That was me in my active addiction. And then there's a picture of me on the back, which I like the back much more. But here's the thing, if I'm not vigilant, like taking care of myself, mm-hmm. trying to eat healthy, exercise, going to my meetings, and just being aware of how, you know, and you know, if we're not aware of how we're feeling or doing, we're easy to slide into a bad area. So you're right. It's it's just like, I have to be vigilant, right? Because I know when I'm not, I had four relapses to prove what happens when I don't care and mm-hmm. I just do what I want to do. Yeah, I, I was looking up your book because I know I, I, I'm like 99% sure I have it, but I don't have it up here. All my books got packed away whenever we closed our office. And so I've got like three huge boxes of nothing but Apex authors. <laughs> so, oh, wow. That's, that's what I was telling. I think it was Steve Gamlin I was telling earlier. I'm like, okay, for two years, I've been buying multiple copies of everybody's book. July 1st, it's my turn. I hope everybody remembers. But <laughs> so, you know, we were, we're going on our, our, you know, close to an hour. What, you know, what do you want to leave people with? What, what advice or tips or whatever you feel called to, to share that we haven't already discussed? I think the biggest thing, and I think you and I have talked about it, right, is I want to leave your audience with is resilience, right? We are very resilient. And you and I talked about it earlier, right? Surround yourself with good people, mm-hmm. right? Not the ones that are going to tell you, oh, everything's going to be okay, pat you on the butt and be on your way, right? Like I was told by my mentors, if they tell you that, you run the other way because life is going to happen. And I, as I shared with your audience, life happened to me in my recovery and I could have easily chose the other path again, right? And, mm-hmm. and, and not be here with you. So my the, the biggest thing, if I could leave your audience is know you're resilient, surround yourself with people, not only that, or maybe it's step for two or three or four ahead of you, but that have your back, that 
are not going to be afraid to tell you the truth and go, hey, Laurie, you know, I, I think you should go left because I see this right is not going to be good for you, right? That were that care enough, as I got told by the ones that, as I say, got raised to be a human being again, right? Or in a productive member of society, right? The guys that told me, Max, we love you enough to tell the truth. So tough shit, excuse my language, but we care enough to tell you the truth, even if it hurts your feelings. So go do the work, basically, yeah. like stay sober, do what you got to do and believe that there are people out there that really care about you because all you got to do sometimes it's maybe a type away, maybe it's a phone call away, maybe it's a text away, but surround yourself with those people that are going to help push you to be a better version of yourself. Uh, I I could not agree with you more. I absolutely love that because I have been I was raised by a family who is that, that everything's going to be okay. Just keep doing it. And I'm like, no, I need people to call me on my crap, which is, yeah, I, there you go. <laughs> which is what I love about Apex. People will be like, when I, my book, my book took me 13 months. It should not have taken me 13 months, but I would have given up if I didn't have people telling me you're making excuses. That's when I got my, um, we'll call it, forget your excuses tattoo. <laughs> <laughs> so that's pretty good it took you a year let me tell you until i surrounded myself with people it, it took me 10 years to get my book out because i was not willing to surround myself with those people to say hey get off your butt and do this right yeah but there are, are a couple people that did that back then and thank god that they, we stayed friends and but i get you right we have to have those people that are gonna go hey max you're slacking dude you need to pick it up because <laughs> you're gonna get passed by if you don't I, I've got people that I've met through the Apex Mastermind that literally if I go a day without posting at a regular time, will reach out and be like, are you okay? I'm like, I, sorry, I'm slacking. I know. You know, and they'll tell me, you have a book to promote. You have to be consistent or the algorithm is going to bury you. And I'm like, I know. Thank you. Keep, t keep calling me on it. <laughs> yep. I'll be getting your book for sure. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. So last question I have for you um, is... And we'll have to do this again because I feel like we could deep dive in and just bring so much more value. What? Where's the best place for people to find you? Yeah, so I have a website, which is maxnace.org. Social media, of course, as you know, I'm on Instagram as the Fearless Happiness Ninja. Facebook is max.nace. I'm on LinkedIn as maxnace. Yeah, you can find me all over social media. I got a page for, you know, a personal page. I got my podcast page, which is the Fearless Happiness podcast page on Facebook. And the Fearless Happiness podcast page on Instagram. But yeah, that's it. And if don't ever be afraid to reach out if you just need someone to listen. You can message me on DM me on Instagram or Facebook. I'll be happy to answer any questions you have. I love that. Thank you. And yeah, we definitely have to do this again because we didn't get into why it's a why instead of an I. So I'm like, we got to do that again so we can deep dive into that. But <laughs> <laughs> All right. I would love to. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you. I appreciate your time. Um, thank you so much for coming on and dropping a ton of value. I, I know that there were a couple of uh, goosebump moments for me, so I know everybody else got those too. But anyway, I just, wow, I, thank you. I'm thank grateful. you for having me. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you and thank you guys for tuning in and we will see you next week. Thank you for listening to Lori Jewett Unscripted. Make sure you subscribe and follow so you don't miss an episode. As always, please share this with someone that needs to hear it. We'll be back next week with another interesting superhero.